0: this is the everything ev podcast by ev powered
1: hello and welcome to another episode of the everything ev podcast the podcast dedicated to everything electric i'm your host charlie atkinson and in these episodes we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel so whether it be cars bikes boats or even planes we'll have it covered We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. In this week's episode, we're joined by Jonathan Carrier of portable EV charging solution Zipcharge. Roughly the size of a compact suitcase, Zipcharge is described as a smart charger on wheels, allowing anybody to charge an electric vehicle anywhere at any time. As co founder of Zipcharge, Jonathan is here to talk all about the company and how it is the final piece of the EV charging puzzle. So, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast now when i first heard about zip charge it seemed like the kind of thing that had to have come from some sort of typical ev charging nightmare either being stranded somewhere or lots of broken charges so was there a light bulb moment like that or is there a completely different story behind the company no there's a
0: slightly different story it um, my co-founder richie civil his brother lives in Twickenham, actually not far from me, over in West London. He'd bought an EV um, and uh, lives in a, you know, Victorian house, and therefore didn't have off-street parking. He was using the local charge point at the Shell petrol station, but very quickly, even that, he found at the time when he wanted to use it, somebody else was, you know, always there, and he was having to queue. Even in these very early days of EV adoption. So knowing his brother, you know, worked in the car industry, you know, Richie was asked by his brother to say, well, look, you've got to come up with some way you can solve this really, you know, that I can have a way to charge, even if I don't have off street parking, that saves me having to go use public charge points. Um, So that's where the idea of a portable charger was born, you know, one that you could use every day to be able to top up your vehicle with your range needs um, uh, that could really try to help provide a, a nudge to people to go electric. And, and really my situation is quite similar. I live in an Edwardian house in Ealing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's still over a hundred years old. It's a ter- terraced house and no off-street parking. I have an electric vehicle, so I understand acutely what it's like to live with an EV, you know, and and the pain that comes with being able to charge and manage charging. And for many people, it's actually hugely inconvenient. You know, there are many, there are some that are really early adopters that go to any lengths to have an electric vehicle, regardless of whether they can charge at home. And you may see photographs of people with you know cables out of their houses draped across pavements, you know, that kind of thing, which isn't great. It's actually illegal in some parts because it's a trip hazard. Um, And then there's other people that will refuse to buy an electric vehicle because they can't charge at home. And in fact, when you look at all the data today, the number one reason why people reject an EV is now charging anxiety. It's no longer range anxiety. And when you delve deeper into what people say and, you know, their response, they're very much concerned about how they charge at home. Now, for many people, what that means is being able to charge where they park their car most of the time. It doesn't necessarily mean charging it in a garage or charging it in, you know, on a driveway, because most people realise the most convenient thing when you have an electric vehicle is to be able to charge anywhere that you park you know pretty much um, so and that's really where zip charge is born so it's not really about that emergency use case like you say you know the reassurance that if you run out of charge what am I going to do of course it can fulfill that need but this is more like a power bank for your EV something that allows you to top up with range as and when you need it every day to be able to help you switch to an electric vehicle and that's great for everybody because then everybody benefits.
1: Absolutely. And now we'll come on to the product itself in a little while. But before we do, I just wanted to get a bit of insight into your background and your career. And you just touched on the early stages of Zipcharge. So when did you become involved with the company? Yeah, so
0: Richie had started looking into it with his brother, you know, as the kind of catalyst back in March, did some early feasibility kind of technical work, but didn't really have an idea of what it could become as a product or how you could take it to market or ultimately what that vision that would go around turning an idea into a commercially viable proposition. And really, then I joined in the summer of 2020. So it was kind of a lockdown, you know, kind of uh, initiative, I was working on it part time to help him and then kind of came on board as co founder in February of last year, and then have been full time on it since the summer of last year, you know, so um, it's, uh, it's been a great opportunity to get my teeth into something that, you know, is ultimately our business, you know, something that we've been able to craft and conceive together. But both of us, you know, we're lifers in the global automotive industry. You know, um, Richie is an expert in electronic systems engineering and uh, he's worked for the likes of um, McLaren, for the Geely Group, he's worked and developed the electrical system and the traction battery for the TX taxi, which he's very proud of, that you now see 5,000 of them on the roads in the UK. And also he's worked for Lotus, working on the Avaya and many others with their electrical systems as well. He's now and just leaving Gordon Murray Design, where he was the CEO of Gordon Murray Electronics. So developing all of the electrical system for um the T50, T33, and all of the other vehicles that are coming out of Gordon Murray. So, you know, comes with a real long st- strong legacy of um automotive experience. Myself, I'm a mechanical engineer by first degree, but actually I've spent most of my career in kind of strategy. That's initially product strategy, but also kind of more of the commercial and corporate strategy. So again, Richie and I worked together at McLaren. We've known each other nearly 20 years. Um, and I've had the privilege of working for Fiat globally in Italy. I've worked for McLaren, creating the sports car company right at the very early Genesis, and all of the MP412C, P1, and vehicles that came afterwards. I've worked for Mazda in their European headquarters on all all of their global product development on CX-5 primarily, and the Mazda 6 in the early product development stages of that, again, working with the designers and engineers. And then I worked for Jaguar Land Rover for seven years. Uh, I was responsible for all of global, product strategy for Jaguar. That was all of the Jaguar transformation and crafting the plan and developing all of the products for its turnaround and transformation back in 2010. And um, that included XE, XF, FPAce, pace the, the fastest and best-selling Jaguar ever, um, as well as then I-Pace, CX-75 and a number of other products associated with it. I was also responsible for all of our global market research, our volume planning, basically everything that you control as a lever in order to deliver revenue, which is pricing and volume, and therefore what the product delivers behind that in order to support and grow a large car company. Since then, I, well, JLR, I set up in Motion Ventures, so I was both venture builder and investor in multiple mobility services, so I set that up as a separate business for Jaguar Land Rover, so I was like a corporate intrapreneur, um, and um, that took me far more into the startup space, where since I've worked been a non-exec director for High Car, which is the UK's largest peer-to-peer car sharing company, um, I've worked on flying cars for a startup in Slovakia, so um, that that's urban air mobility, EV tolls, and then most recently, before Zip Charge, I was working for innobat uh, doing corporate development work, including a number of other areas for um, lithium-ion battery cells. So, come at this also with a good technical understanding of where batteries are going. You know, the development in in particularly nickel-rich uh, batteries and how that will help transform electrification in the future.
1: So your history and career has revolved a lot around internal combustion engine vehicles, but you said earlier that you are also an EV owner now as well. So when did you first become drawn to EVs and what was your first sort of experience with them?
0: Well, back in 2012, 2013, I was doing the early product planning for IPACE. So, you know, I was effectively developing the concept, working with the designers, engineers on that very initial understanding of Jaguar's first electric vehicle. So I've actually been involved in this segment for about 10 years, you know, in that early stages. And in fact, back in 2010, when I was uh, trying to develop and support Jaguar's transformation, one of the strategies we looked at back in 2010 was turning Jaguar fully electric, even back in 2020. 2010, and I was I was a little bit dismissed internally, as you can imagine, by some of the hierarchy that that, that was a viable plan. But um, just imagine what Jaguar could have been if there'd been the level of investment from 2010, and actually the XE, F Pace, and other vehicles had been fully electric inter- instead of internal combustion engine. When I set up in motion Ventures, part of the re- rationale for doing that back in 2013 was to support the electrification strategy, so the charging requirements that could support the rollout of a range of Jaguar and Land Rover vehicles, which included both plug-in hybrids and also uh, therefore electric vehicles. So actually, I've been involved in this space for a very long time. And actually, I'll go back even earlier than that, uh, when I was doing all of the product planning and the strategy for McLaren. So this would have been back in 2003, 2004, 2005 my plan was the one and i pushed for the p1 to be hybrid you know so i've been involved in understanding the 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 trajectory of the automotive industry how electrification as a vector is you know ultimately where the the industry is heading and how in order to build the right products with the right level of performance that can ultimately also then deliver that
1: and now fast forward to today then where is the business at now because i saw on your website that you're taking pre-orders now so when does zipcharge come to the market and when will it be off the shelf ready yeah
0: so again having explained a little bit about our background as co-founders we understand what it takes to deliver a technical product to market you know because automotive processes one of you know along with aerospace are probably the most rigorous in terms of both development validation You know, testing, Um, you have to do a lot of environmental testing, crash testing and so forth so that you can certify a vehicle to meet emissions requirements, safety requirements, as well as it being a durable product that that consumers can use we're employing exactly the same philosophy with um, the Zip Charge Go. In fact, we treat it like a supercar in terms of its development. And that's because it shares many of the common engineering challenges as it does with a supercar. Namely, it has to be as light as possible with maximum performance. You have to package a lot of things in a very tight space and when you do that you also have thermal management issues that you have to be able to to deal with so when you think about those things that's very similar to a supercar regardless whether it's got an internal combustion engine or whether it actually like a RIMATS, has a has an electric uh, you know power pack uh, battery so at the end of the day you know we we're, we're doing this in stages and we're doing this in in uh, prototype development phases which is exactly the same as how every car manufacturer brings a new car to market so we have our kind of validation prototypes that we're building at the moment. Um, We'll be doing real-world trials with um, large corporate fleets in the next couple of months. That will give us real-world data feedback but also allow us to translate their early interest into confirmed orders. We'll then do another set of prototypes, which will be kind of our pre-production prototypes in September, um, where again, we'll do more trials with fleets, but also at that point with customers. Um, So early kind of beta testing. And then we will use that to then uh, fully validate, certify and sign off the product so that it's safe, durable with the level of quality and reliability that's required with the first deliveries at the start of 2023, quarter one. So when you look on our website, you see that we're taking pre-orders, we're taking registrations to, to for pre-orders. So it's give us your interest. You know, we're not asking anybody to commit at this stage, but we hope to open our pre-orders for private customers um, in August. Um, So once we've gone through that uh, validation prototype phase, but at the moment, we're already signing contracts with very large corporate fleets, um, because that's our core focus initially, because they all have to go electric even sooner than the private consumers. Many, many fleets have got ESG concerns, shareholder pressures. They're all setting targets by 2025 or some 2030 to go fully electric with their fleets. And they all need to charge. Now, whether that's at depot, whether they have vehicles that they take home, or they need to charge whilst their vehicles are operating, the Zip Charge Go is a great solution equally for large corporate fleets. So, vehicles and light commercial vehicles that can help deliver a solution.
1: Just on the product itself, then, you said earlier that these are sort of top up chargers. So, in the example of a regular EV like a Nissan Leaf, for example, Will it be able to charge that up fully or is it just to give it a few extra miles of range?
0: Yeah, so our our solution will so we'll have a range of charges from four to eight kilowatt hours that will deliver a Tesla Model 3 between 20 and 40 miles. For Nissan LEAF, it's 18 miles and 36 miles. So it depends on the efficiency of the vehicle, but pretty much. So when you look at all of the data, the average vehicle miles traveled in the UK is 18 miles. In Europe, it's a little bit more. In Germany, it's about 19 miles, uh, just under 20. Other countries in Europe, it's less. And in the US, it's 26.5 miles but that spread across the entire you know you know north america you know the from east to west coast when you look at california you look at new york state and you look at florida the kind of three core ev markets in the us that represent kind of 70 80 percent of ev sales in the us actually it's in the low 20s it's uh, much closer to european levels. so what our charger can do is give you the ability to charge your vehicle with the range that you need every day. So does that mean it's gonna be your charger for every eventuality? Absolutely not, because when you charge, you don't use the same type of charger. You know, it's, it's not analogous to internal combustion engine vehicles. There's only one pump, there's only one pump speed, there's only one type of fuel. You know, with electric vehicles, there's different types of chargers with different ratings and different speeds that actually are more suited to different types of applications. You go on a very long journey, you need rapid charging because you need to be able to get going quickly again. But when you're parked at home, you don't need super fast charging. In fact, you want the thing that's the cheapest and also the most convenient. And that's where the Zip Charge Go really fits in because you plug it into your regular household socket. So you charge it at the lowest possible cost Far cheaper than you'd pay in public charging um, because you pay your domestic rate or your business rate. And then you just plug it into your vehicle and transfer the power and it'll give you your daily range needs. And actually you don't need to be able to fill the vehicle to 100% because when people own an electric vehicle, what happens is you graze, you don't gorge. So when you have a you know petrol or a diesel car, you wait for your light to come on, wait for it to go to zero, you drive to the gas station, petrol station and you fill it up to 100%. But when you have an electric car, it's far more like a mobile phone. You plug it in and you top it up as and when you are. I mean, I don't know about you, but unless you're really in dire straits, you never really let your phone get to zero percent, do you? You keep topping it up. And it's the same when you look at all the studies with electric vehicles. People keep a steady state of range somewhere between 40 to 70 percent, depending on personal preference, unless they're going on a much longer journey. So in that case, our solution fits in very well with encouraging people to charge a little but often. And when you do that, not only do you meet your needs, you save time, you save money, it's more convenient because you never have to move your car and drive somewhere else to charge it, which actually in European cities is a real issue because someone takes your parking space and then it takes half an hour to find another one by the time you come back. Um, but also because ultimately um, it gives you the flexibility around charging. Um, so many people, 40% of people don't have off street parking. So the challenge for them is they have a variable parking space. They can never guarantee where they're going to park. They can never guarantee they're going to get access to a fixed charge point, even if there is one on street and whether they'll be able to use it at night. So this is a great way to be able to top up your car a little bit often and give you the charge that you need for your daily mileage.
1: Yeah, that sort of answered another one of my questions, really. Because prior to this interview, I was thinking about Zip Charge and how the rollout of charging infrastructure and things like community charging could be seen as a rival to what you guys are doing. But instead, it's just another piece of that EV charging ecosystem, isn't it? You
0: have got it exactly right. It's complementary. We can't. We've stopped. Got to think. Uh, stop. Collectively, we have to stop thinking of, of EV charging as an or debate it's one or the other one will succeed versus the other it's not it's an and debate which in the in by what i mean by that is that you can have multiple different types of charging solutions that will be relevant and apt to meet different people's needs at different times depending on what car they have how far they're driving what the situation is where they are a number of different factors and we we don't need to have a homogeneous ev charging network what we need is access to more charging where people park, but also more convenient charging that allows them the confidence that they can go electric. Because at the moment, that's the biggest barrier. Most people look at charging and they look at an electric vehicle and they go, how am I gonna charge it? So until you can convince someone and give them the reassurance that they can actually go electric, then that's actually a massive barrier. And that's where ZipCharge can come in. It is a nudge technology. It's a way to be able to encourage people to go, do you know, what? I can go electric now because it doesn't matter if I have to park 50 metres down the street or right outside of my house, you know, or even if I go visit friends and family, I'll always have a charge point with me that can give me the range that I need. So, yeah, it's a get out of jail free card, but actually it's so much more than that because it can deliver you your range as and when you need it on a daily basis.
1: Just to go one step further on that, people always talk about the barriers to EV ownership, whether it be cost, range, charging, or anything like that. And the industry has knocked each one of those barriers over time after time. But the one scenario that is always held against it is that person living in a block of flats that doesn't have their own driveway and has to rely on either someone else's charger or on a public one instead. But now with this solution where that person can charge at home, Is there now no excuse for people making the switch over to an electric vehicle?
0: Yes and no, you know, um, but the the problem is perception is reality. Yeah. So for many people, the perception is that, you know, cars are still expensive, even though they're coming down in price, you know, that uh, there's not enough cars or not enough choice. That's not the case anymore. Um, There's not enough charging infrastructure, but it's because people don't necessarily see it close to where they are and where they live. So There's as much a perception issue as there is an actual physical enablement issue, you know, around infrastructure, vehicles, availability, supply and so forth. So more has to be done. And I believe collectively the industry needs to do more collaboratively, because the problem is you have lots of independent voices, you know, of lots of either bodies, but also corporates that ultimately have their own vested interest. And that's fine because everybody's trying to make a success and support how electric vehicles can be adopted but my view is there has to be far more of a collective approach where there is an industry focus that can help support challenging these barriers that has to be government supported in whatever form support that comes from but it also has to have a level of independence so that it's not Um, similar to, you know, it's not got a single vested interest behind it that's going to push a particular agenda. This has to be on the side of the consumer, helping break down those perception barriers that ultimately will allow people to be better informed and also overcome some of these myths. Um, And I think that's pretty critical. Now, the gambling industry, it's not the same. But they, they were forced to have to, you know, talk about responsible gambling and they had to do it in such a, a way that ultimately allowed them to collectively come together to address some of the perception issues around online gambling. And that's where, you know, when the fun stops, stops. My view is there has to be something similar, you know, but with a more proactive message that's about helping break down some of these barriers, but also bringing collectively a body and a consortium of the industry together to be able to challenge some of those myths. So, yes, I agree with you in some respects, but equally perception still lags behind reality and more has to be done from a collective perspective to be able to challenge those misconceptions, but also some of the mistruths that are often peddled in the media around, you know, the advent of electric vehicles and the challenges around them.
1: Yeah, I agree that more does need to be done, and it's funny because just looking back over the past 12 months, even on a day-to-day basis now, going for a five-minute drive, you'll see loads and loads of electric cars out on the road, but in the same breath, you you still hear people talking about those barriers and why they're not going to be switching to an electric vehicle for whatever reason. So over the past 12 months, to me, it's felt a bit like a, a turning point, but how where do you sit on that? Does it does it feel like we are sort of at that tipping point now where we are moving towards the mass mass transition to electric vehicles?
0: I still think there's more to go. Everyone's been saying 2020 was the year of EVs. You know, twenty twenty one's gonna be the year of EVs, twenty twenty two is the year of EVs, and I'm sure twenty will say the same thing in twenty twenty-three. You are right, you know, of course there is a a relative tipping point, And that's seen in actual EV sales, where EVs now are, you know, 18, 19% of new vehicle registrations, you know, at, at the end of 2021 as a total year, but also as we've seen in, in January, and I'm sure we will see in February. Part of the challenge is about supply constraints on vehicles that's somewhat linked to the semiconductor challenge, but also supply of batteries, you know, and there's enough demand that ultimately will eat up all of the supply that comes into the market. So, you know, I don't think that will help. Um, I don't yet think that we have a natural balance between supply of vehicles and demand. I think we we we've swung slightly the other way, you know, where there was some range availability on the market and not enough demand. And now demand is outstripping supply. That's a great position to be in, but it'd be even better if we could get more vehicles onto the road. So I still think there's a few bit ahead. Way. I still think there's still um, some challenges around infrastructure deployment, um, which is more to do with the perception, but also trying to solve the challenge for on street, but critically also rural charging. So everyone talks about EV charging being, you know, easily sold. You just stick fast hubs in everywhere. That's not going to be a reality in a less dense location or not on a motorway. So how do you really solve the problem for 90% of the population that aren't within a five to 10 minute walk of an EV charge, charge point, public charge point. So, you know, smaller towns, smaller cities, villages, you know, that's a real challenge to solve because this isn't just a urban center Problem that has to be dealt with. You know, it's not a London, a Manchester, you know, Leeds um, type of solution. This requires a lot more thought and dedication that can help support the wider transformation towards electric. That makes it even more relevant in a rural location. And actually, that's where Zip Charge is working on. So, as much as we've talked about, you know, you referred to the person in the apartment block who can have a Zip Charge and therefore they can charge at home. You know, regardless actually we're working on solutions that can also solve the problem for rural charging but also doing it in a way where we manage energy more efficiently um, more sustainably and more cost-effectively for the benefit of everybody and we've not announced this yet and this will be coming soon but ultimately we see there's a much brighter future where we can combine charging with smart energy management that actually plays a far greater role with helping our grid become more resilient more sustainable in terms of its energy generation from renewables but also smarter matching between supply and demand that can ultimately benefit all of society so you know there's a lot more to go with zip charge than just being a battery on wheels as some people have glibly called it um but you know there's an opportunity here that we can do so much more and that's where we aim to address this much broader inequality associated with charging that's not just an urban issue it's a rural issue it's a social issue it's an economic issue and it's as much a residential issue of the type of property that you live in
1: that's actually a very handy link into my final question because obviously we spoke about what this year is going to look like for zip charge and how you're preparing for for next year but looking further down the line what does the long term vision and future look like for the company
0: yeah well we exist to democratize EV charging and actually p- access to personal energy, which can be used for EV charging. Don't forget the Zip Charge Go can charge anything. It has a three pin socket outlet on it. You can plug it in your fridge, you can plug in your, you know, your power tools, pretty much anything. It could even run your home. So when you start to think in that much broader context about how something that is a mobile, so portable energy storage device and the role it can play for all of us in our energy future, that's where it becomes to, starts to become a lot more interesting. Because not only do we provide low cost, convenient EV charging anywhere you park, we can actually provide smarter access to lower cost, more efficient and sustainably um, source you know, renewable energy that you can use for anything, whether that's to power your home, whether that's to help support the grid, whether that's ultimately to be able to charge your vehicle and we think when you put it into that context there's a much broader opportunity for zip charge to play part in this kind of distributed smart grid of the future where ultimately we help people use energy smarter but also then deploy it in a far um, more efficient lower cost way and when you consider how you know expensive uh, electricity Uh, prices are and the issues we have around the cap at the moment but also what that means in the future when we have greater intermittency between um, uh, energy generation but also uh, imbalance between supply and demand during the day we need far greater ways to be able to manage energy in a smarter way that can help lower the costs and make it um, more equal and address that inequality for everybody and that's what we aim to achieve.
1: That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening and if you liked it then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV Podcast.